Here we are this last week of the series uh, we've titled Getting to Know God, where we've been trying to understand not just more things about God, but who God is. And we said in the first week that really if there's a difference between knowing things about God, knowing things about God is basically about gathering information, but to know God is, is something that you must do so personally, something that you must endeavor to experience on your own. And it really is God calling and beckoning us to himself through his word, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus Christ through his church. He calls us to himself so that we could learn more about him. And it's those qualities within him that really attract us when we find out that he is just, but he's also merciful and he's gracious and he's kind and he's loving and that he is faithful and that he will never, ever let us down that he will hold himself accountable to the words that he's given us. And it's those qualities within the Godhead that really call us and draw us to himself so that we could learn more about him. But as I said, that knowing comes from us. We have to be the ones doing the knowing. Uh, But those things that we learn about God are equally important. And it's really important in today's world that we understand the truth about God. Because things, things can easily get off track in our world, in our culture. We can find ourselves on a different path altogether when it comes to God. And the cults that have developed in the United States in the 20th century are are proof of that. Where there are American religions that have grown up following after not Jesus of the Bible, but a Jesus of somebody's own making. Not considering Jesus to be divine, not considering the Holy Spirit to be divine, but considering them to be created beings or just forces. And and just in a, in, a, in a time span of less than 100 years can undo what had been done for thousands of years. And it's just no surprise that we find ourselves wondering, wondering who God is. And hopefully we've been trying to clear up some of those questions and give a little bit more of a clear statement as to who God is, God the Father, God the Son. But now this week we come to God the Holy Spirit, and some would say he is the forgotten person of the Trinity because we typically don't teach a whole lot on the Holy Spirit, or maybe when we were brought up and we were taught that the Holy Spirit exists, we weren't told a whole lot about him, because the denomination that we are in or the church that we grew up in really didn't lean into the Holy Spirit. And, and what we want to say today is that's a mistake, because he is one of the three persons of the Trinity. He is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son, and he is to be worshiped and glorified just as they are. But that doesn't mean that he is. And I think a lot of it is because we really don't know him. You know, 30 years ago, I was in a place where I'm like, I didn't want anything to do with God. I kind of figured, had I had God figured out on my own, and I liked where I was with God because he kind of let me do what I wanted to do, and I felt like I was still okay. And um, that was a good relationship for me. And I did not realize just how stupid in my thinking I was at that time. But over these last 30 years, God has been extremely patient with me and just so merciful with me that he's, <laughs> he could still just keep teaching me, even though I think I know more than I know. But, you know, when you look at studies and you see what people believe about God, especially about the Trinity and especially about the Holy Spirit, think back. Think back, and maybe it was yesterday, think back, or maybe it's today, you think. You're not really clear on who the Holy Spirit is, and and you wouldn't be alone because a vast majority of Christianity in the United States is at the same, very same place. A recent survey, this is what was found, that 
There is one true God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these are evangelicals that they're asking this question of. 69% yes, they agree with that, that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But 20% said, nope, they don't agree with that. And 11% said they weren't sure. 30 years ago, I'd have, I'd have been probably in that green group. Yep, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then the second one is the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being. 56% of evangelicals believe, or at least here in the survey said, they believe he's not a personal being. He's just a force. And I, I probably would have been in the unsure category some 30 years ago. Not sure. I certainly wouldn't have been in the disagreeing with that. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is, is a divine being, but he's not equal with God, the Father, and Jesus. Like 28% agree with that statement, and 51% disagree, but then another 21% say they're not sure. While 69% of the people say they believe there's three persons, one God, three persons, they have no idea what that means, for the most part. A vast majority of evangelicals have no idea what that means. We recite things like the Apostles' Creed. We recite and we say, I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but a vast majority of us don't know what that means. But the good news is, is that Scripture's here, and it teaches us what that means, because the Apostles' Creed that we've been looking at over these past two weeks really teaches us the truth about God. Not just God the Father, but God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And this creedal formula, this brief statement, is really to call us to look that information up and say, where does that come from? Because it all comes from Scripture, but unless we're sure of where it comes from, it has a hard way of kind of making it from our head to our hearts. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, this is the danger in your age and going forward. For a time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. When I was younger, it was great to get other people around me that agreed with me that, you know, that we were okay with, with God. God was okay with us, and we could pretty much do whatever we wanted to do. And it was good to have friends like that that would reaffirm my beliefs. But it was a dangerous thing to have those kind of beliefs when they are contradictory to what Scripture teaches us. But yet, Paul says, Timothy, that's exactly what's going to happen. People aren't going to put up with sound doctrine, which are why the creeds came to be. Because within just a few hundred years, people started teaching things that were untrue about Jesus, and so untrue about the Godhead. And so the Apostles' Creed comes, and then later the Nicene Creed comes, because now they're questioning the deity of, of the Son, and they're questioning the deity of the Holy Spirit. And so they come out with the Nicene Creed. And, and so it's a little bit more of a of an explanation as to who he is, but it still draws us into Scripture, or should at least draw us into Scripture. And that's the work of the Apostles' Creed. It's a way for us to memorize. I mean, I memorized the Apostles' Creed in confirmation, but I had no idea what it meant. Now, that's not the fault of the teachers. That primarily was within me. It was my stubbornness, my not wanting to know. But I could still memorize it and still have it memorized today. But that didn't mean anything if I don't understand what it says. And so that's why we've been really trying to delve into the Scriptures through the Apostles' Creed to give you some meaning, to give ourselves some meaning and clear understanding about God, but also that, that, that draw, use the, the Scriptures to draw us closer to Him. And so today we want to look at that third article of the Apostles' Creed where this is what it tells us about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
That's it. Right? The Nicene Creed's a little bit longer. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and Son, who with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified, and he spoke by the prophets. So it's a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit is, but still not a lot about who the Holy Spirit is. And so what I thought I'd do with you today is kind of help you see what it is we teach and what it is, what it is the, the creed is telling us and, and what is it we know about the Holy Spirit and where can we find this in the scriptures. And so that's what I want to take you through today and, and then kind of answer some questions like, so who is the Holy Spirit? And, and what is his ministry exactly? What is his role in the Godhead? And then how does that make a difference in my life? Those are the things I want to look at today. So if you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, we come before you this morning, drawn by the love of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray to you this morning that you would teach us. Teach us things that we don't know that we need. Speak words that, that, that our hearts can hear. I'd ask that you would... Use the words in my mouth, the meditation of my heart, that you would bring forth your word here today for the sake of all those who hear. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who is the Holy Spirit? You know, I was listening to a podcast several years ago. It was by Greg Kunkel. And Greg Kunkel's, um, I would say he's, he's a scholar, he's an apologist, and he deals a lot with youth. And his primary focus is, is helping evangelize and teach people who are in the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. So he'll, he'll teach young, young people how to minister to and how to overcome the thoughts or the misleading thoughts about Jehovah, or the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints have about Jesus. And so he did this thing called a, a, a Mormon role play where he went into a Christian youth group and he pretended to be an elder from the LDS church. And the youth leader was in on it. And so he stood up and he, he told all the parents and the kids that were there that he was a Christian. He was from the Mormon church, but he was a Christian. And then they started like debating with him that no, he wasn't a Christian. And he kept saying, yes, he was. And we believe the same things. And so he would teach them things from the scriptures and, and say, and no one could refute him. No one knew their scriptures well enough. And you could just see people getting more and more frustrated, trying to trying to argue, and they couldn't because he knew his scriptures better than, than they knew their scriptures. And so it's important for us to know our scriptures because we do have an opportunity to witness to all kinds of people and to be able to point in the scripture, well, where does it say that? He asked him that point blank, well, tell me, where in scripture does it say that? And, and no one could tell him. So hopefully maybe after this morning, you have a few places that you could point people to. And one of the first ones is this story in Acts chapter 5 where this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, have a plot of land and, and they were selling it and they were going to give the proceeds to the apostles for the works of the ministry. But we're told that they pretended, they told the apostles, we're giving you everything that we got from the sale, although we find out in the story that they were actually holding some back. But they let it be known that they were giving everything they had. And so then they come and Peter says to Ananias, he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? He says he's lied to the Holy Spirit. But this is the important text that follows. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. Peter calls the Holy Spirit God. And it's not just 
the Holy Spirit. It's not just a man. It's not just a person that he's, he's lied to. He's lied to God himself. And so clearly here in Acts chapter 3, we see that clearly this isn't something that was thought up later. It was something within the life of the church, the early church that Peter professes. So we see first and foremost, who's the Holy Spirit? He is God. He is equal with God. We go on to look in Acts later. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Do you see the personal pronouns that the Holy Spirit is using of himself? He says, set apart for me, the Holy Spirit says. Set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Right here, the Holy Spirit, we see, is a person. You can't use those personal pronouns without being a person. And so we see here clearly in Acts that the Holy Spirit is God and that he is a person. He's not just a spiritual force, but he is God himself, and he is one of the three persons of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and the Son. And then we also read, the writer of Hebrews tells us, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The writer of Hebrews says he's eternal. He's always existed. Just like the Father and the Son. The Spirit has always existed. He's eternal. He's without beginning and he's without end. He is co-equal with God. He is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. The doctrine of Scripture is sound in that regard. The God that we, the God that we worship is one God, three persons, all equal, all God, each individuals with different responsibilities, but no one greater than the other. And we see all three persons here in this text. Jesus Christ, the Spirit, God the Father, all are called the living God. And so that's what we as Christians believe when we recite that I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe him to be God. I believe him to be a person. And I believe him to be eternal and co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. That's what I believe about the Holy Spirit which is unique among all other religions. That Jesus Christ himself is eternal. Jesus Christ himself is God, as he said he was. And so is the Holy Spirit. So what is his ministry? Why is it the Holy Spirit comes into the world? Why is it so important that, that there is the Holy Spirit? Well, the very first ministry that we see him involved in is in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then the very next verse, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The very first ministries of the Holy Spirit was to be involved in creation. He was there at the very beginning, involved, hovering over the waters, hovering over the darkness, hovering over the chaos. 
And God said, let there be light. And there came order into the world through the Holy Spirit. So we see his ministry is is creating. But we also see it's more than that. Peter tells us that he is the inspiration behind God's Word. That no author ever wrote anything without being carried along by the Holy Spirit. All of Scripture is God-breathed. That, that ruha, that, that, that force that is the Holy Spirit is the creating forth force in God's words. And so we see him here carrying all of the authors of the scriptures. Does it not make sense that there would be one author, especially when there are 40 different authors penning these books over almost 2,000 years, all telling the same story? How does that happen? unless there's really one author, one inspiration behind it all. And, and we're told that's the Holy Spirit. That's his ministry, is to make this word known to us. He's the author of it, and so he knows it best. Jesus himself said this of the Holy Spirit when he was going away. He was going to be crucified. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine the disciples saying, no, 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 no. I think it's better that you're here. Wouldn't it make more sense that Jesus was here? But Jesus said, no, no, no. It's the other way around. It's better for you if I leave. See, Jesus in physical form is only present in one place as his human nature. But the Holy Spirit, who is spirit, is present everywhere. Remember, we read that in Psalm 39 where David said, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go that you are not there? We see the spirit is present everywhere. But Jesus says when he comes, he's going to be your advocate. He's going to be your counselor. But then he also goes on to say this about him. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I don't know about you, but that is great news for me. It's not my responsibility to convict the world of its sin. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's his job. His role is to convict the world of its sin. My job is to preach the gospel. My job is to to tell the world that there is a living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and he has come into existence as a man to, to pay the price for all the world's sins. And I have been called to share the good news of Jesus Christ that that righteousness is available to all. And we'll let the Holy Spirit take care of the whole convicting the rest of the world about sin. And quite honestly, he does a really good job at it, much better than I could ever do. Because we know that God sees the heart of the individual. He doesn't see as we see. He doesn't see the outward appearances, but he judges the heart. And the Holy Spirit, being God, knows exactly the heart of every man and knows the mind of, mind of God. He is the one best suited to convict the world of its sin. But it doesn't stop there. He says when he comes, that the spirit of truth, he will guide you. He will be your tour guide. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He is God eternal, 
It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. While God has placed eternity on our hearts, we have no idea what's going to happen the rest of this day, but God does. And we're told by Jesus that when the Spirit comes and he takes up residence in our heart, he then becomes our guide through this text. We have our own interpreter inside that longs for us to draw us into this word, into a closer relationship with Jesus, into a closer relationship with God the Father. See, do you notice what's happening here? Remember, last week we said, what is it that Jesus said? I do nothing that I do not see the Father doing. I do everything the Father commands me to do. Jesus comes to bring glory to the Father. Why does the Spirit come? To bring glory to the Father and to the Son. You see, in the Godhead, this other-centeredness. Never concerned about their own well-being, but concerned about the other members of the Trinity and concerned about us. There's an order and otherness to the love of God. And we see that in the Holy Spirit. And we're told that he comes and he takes up residence in us. And that is to our advantage. You know, when, when Jesus went back up into heaven on his, when he was risen and ascended to heaven, he told his disciples to wait and he would send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would come and fill their hearts. But they were to wait and preach after the Holy Spirit comes. And it was on Pentecost, as there we believed on the temple steps there in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit comes. And this mighty wind were heard blows, and, and these tongues of fire light on the disciples' heads, and they start they start teaching in different languages and different tongues. There were people from all over the world there with different languages and were told that they understood what was being preached because the Spirit was preaching through them in languages that they didn't know. But yet everybody there could understand. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was there interpreting to them where they understood. And Peter stands up Peter, the guy who ran away, the guy who denied Jesus now in the power of the Spirit, stands up on the temple steps and preaches the gospel to the same people that crucified Jesus. And when he finished, they looked at him and said, what, what, what should we do? You see, because the Holy Spirit was doing what Jesus said he would do. He would convict the world of its sin. And so Peter preaches the gospel and the Spirit does what he does and he convicts the hearts of those hearing and they say, what should we do? To which we see Peter say this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Holy Spirit works with your testimony. The Holy Spirit works as you go and you share the good news about Jesus Christ. This day, we're told, 3,000 people came to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit in one single day. The Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is active now. And because he is here Miracles happen now. People come to faith now. 
that at one time you would think would, might be impossible, but not with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that's his role. In John chapter 3, he said, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's job to kindle faith in the heart of humans. And he does that through the gospel spoken in baptism. With the word and the water, it is the Holy Spirit that is doing the regenerate work in the heart of the individual and and producing faith in the heart of a child or the heart of an adult. It is the Holy Spirit that regenerates the life. It is the Holy Spirit, as we see in the beginning of creation, bringing form and function to the world. We see him once again involved in the recreating, bringing forth new creations in God's timing. And and then he takes up residence in our heart and then becomes our guide and our teacher and the one that continually works to regenerate my heart so that I could look more and more like Jesus. But it is the work of the Spirit that does that. I can ask you to pray and lead you to pray, but I cannot convince you to fall in love with Jesus. The Holy Spirit can do that, though. And the Holy Spirit promises to do that if you will but follow him. That, that little tap you feel sometimes on your heart, that little tap sometimes you feel on your shoulder, that is the Holy Spirit calling you, calling you forward, calling you into a relationship with him. And sometimes you sit there and go, well, I, I don't think I ever asked him to do that. But that doesn't mean that you don't need it. Which brings me to what I think is one of the most beautiful promises of Scripture, that is the most remarkable promises of Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, even when we don't know what to pray for. This is what Paul says in Romans, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You find yourself in... I, just not, fig- not knowing what to do and pretty sure you know how things are figured out. You've got things pretty much settled in your mind, what tomorrow looks like, and then tomorrow shows up and it's nothing like you'd planned. It's nothing like you'd pictured and it's just completely different and it throws you upside down. And, and when you're trying to figure a way through it, we're told the Holy Spirit is with you. In fact, the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf. Because in situations like that, a lot of times, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what it is that would be best in my life, but I'm told the Holy Spirit living in me knows exactly what's best for my life. And so as I learn that, I learn to pray to the Holy Spirit. I learn to pray and ask Him to to help me. Help me pray for what it is I need. Because I don't know what I need but he does. And we're told that he will intercede for us. When you find yourself in a place where you don't know what to do next, pray and ask the Spirit to guide you. You know, I told you 30 years ago, it's like I was just way off down my own road, going my own way, convinced I knew exactly where I was headed. And and no amount of arguing could have changed my mind. 
And so if I was really thinking about it, I would have to tell you that then that it makes no surprise that I would raise a son just like me. Believing he knew exactly the right way to go and the right way to get there. And caused Terry and I to spend countless nights in prayer, wondering what was going to happen with him as he went off down the road and, and did his own thing. And all we did was pray. Like, I don't know what else to do but pray and try to find a way to get through to him. But I couldn't make him love Jesus. I can only keep trying to point him to Jesus. Right? Well, it was in 2005, my oldest daughter decided she was going to go to college. And she goes to SIU Carbondale to play softball. And only a year and a half later, she quits. And, and she joins this church down there. And this church gets a hold of her heart, and she starts following Jesus more than she'd ever followed Jesus in her whole life. And it wasn't me that, that helped her there. But someone else did. And the Holy Spirit was, was prominent in her life. But then comes my son, and he's lost, and I don't know how to help him. I have conversations with him, and I'm just asking, I'm like, I'm worried about you, and I don't know how to help you. You don't need to be worried about me, Dad. But I was worried about him. We were ter terrified. And then it got to a point where it was like we didn't know what to do, and so we prayed, and I believe it was the Spirit's, like, pushing that said, send him to Carbondale. Because maybe God will get a hold of him in Carbondale. And it didn't happen easily, because he just kept going downhill at Carbondale. But through the constant prayer of his sister, who had notified people in Carbondale that Alex was there to pray for him, to pray for him, to pray for him, when he finally hit bottom, he went to church. And he encountered those people there at that church. And it changed his whole life. His whole life. And that was a spirit working through a little girl who 27 years ago like, looked up to me when I said I didn't want to go to church and said, this is the church we need to go to, Trinity. See, if this church doesn't happen, if the Holy Spirit isn't working here, then none of this with my kids down at this church ever happens. None of it ever happens. But it does because the Holy Spirit is continuing the work. Even when we're stubborn and we don't think we need his help, he's still working. And so I just want to stop resisting the Holy Spirit because he's the one tapping you on the shoulder. He's the one that's calling you here every weekend. He's the one that goes with you when you leave here every day. And he's the one that continually, hopefully, reminds you of just how much you're loved by Jesus. Because that's his role. That's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know that God is for you. He wants you to know that God loves you. And that's why Jesus sent him, so that you would know those things. Not only that you would know those things, but you could then teach those things to others. Not with words from men, but from words from the Spirit that change lives. Because that's still happening today. Miracles are still happening today. And so my prayer for all of you is that these simple words of the creed, this simple understanding of who God the Father is, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, hopefully you've come to know them a little bit better. Hopefully you've come to understand who they are, but just how much they love you and how much they desire for you to know them better so that you could share that news with the world around you, so that you could be more sure and more certain than ever that the Lord your God is with you.
and he's not against you. So I thought we would conclude this series one last time by reciting this creed together. And if you would, recite this with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.